Hello and welcome to Everyday SEL. My name is Chris Williams, joined today by Shauna Cook-Harvey and Hannah Collentine cole Hi guys, how's it going? Good morning. Hey, good morning. I liked the extended hello. That was enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm feeling pretty enthusiastic today. Um, we have a lot to talk about today and uh, some, some headlines which are informing our topic for today. Um, yet again, this week, we have seen what appears to be a racially motivated shooting in Atlanta. Uh, a white man who's uh, shot and killed uh, several Asian Americans in multiple locations. And uh, that is very much on our mind. Uh, once again, a racially motivated killing. And the other big headline that's happening this week or kind of currently, is this push to reopen schools and welcome students back to school. And while it may seem that these two events are unrelated, to us, it seems like they are. Um, when we think about how are we welcoming students back to school, what are the kind of major topics of conversation that we should be talking about? And there's a lot of folks talking about how are we kind of reimagining school, not going back to business as usual. And in those conversations, should we potentially think about um, how our country um, is one of the only countries, one of the only civilized countries that continues to suffer from mass shootings, and oftentimes racially motivated killings. And when we think about us as a country, as a system, racially motivated killings are nothing new. They've been a part of our history since our birth as a country. And what do we want to do about it? Uh, and the system of the United States, in many respects, is one that is founded on uh, race, and racism and systems of oppression. And when we think about education and kind of not going back to business as usual, it really might behoove us to think about how is the system of education also a part of the system of the United States, which perpetuates systems of racism and oppression. And a lot of educators, I'm sure, are familiar with the quote uh, by Horace Mann, of education being the great equalizer. Well, currently it's not. We have lots of evidence to demonstrate how uh, education is one more system of oppression, disproportionality, uh, you know, problematization or suspension of people of color. Um, so when we think about reopening schools, what is it that we could be doing as a system to interrupt to dismantle that perpetuation of racism and oppression? And how can schools really squarely put a stake in the ground and say, no, we do want to be the great equalizer. We want to stop this. Um, so we should be able to figure that out in the next 20 minutes. Right, guys? <laughs> um, I, maybe we should start, Shauna, with uh, just a, an examination of evidence what evidence do we have which supports this idea that education the system of education is uh somewhat unjust oh i mean all the evidence right think about all of the terms that we've heard over the years from uh i don't know 
achievement gap, opportunity gap, experience gap, all the gaps are part of uh, an outcome or a symptom of a system that is literally what you described. It's, it was created um, to reproduce and perpetuate the broader society that we're living within. Um, you know, I think about education um, kind of as a spoke on a wheel, right? If you think of a wheel as a, as a metaphor here and education is one of those spokes and it also, one of the spokes on the wheel is housing and healthcare, the justice system, um, schooling, right? All of these things are part of a broader system that kind of makes this wheel move and it just keeps going over and over and over again. And so even the idea that as educators, we're contemplating how to essentially completely change our spoke <laughs> on this wheel, I think underscores how difficult this is. What we're trying to do is literally changing an institution that is part of a bigger system that has been remarkably stable for hundreds of years and is getting the outcomes that reproduce the same kind of set of beliefs that some people are better than others or more well-equipped than others, that work harder than others, uh, that are smarter than others, that are, are more deserving than others, right? And the list of, of things goes on and on. Um, I, I, you know, it just, well, and I, I, you know, I, you know, realize, I realize how much, how difficult this work is and because we're not just bumping up against oh, you know, schools can do things differently. Why don't we just do things differently? Because we're bumping up, a broad, bumping up against a broader system mm -hmm. that's much bigger than schooling alone. And yet it's not hopeless, right? We have the, uh, we have, we have the chance to do some things differently yeah. and to get some different outcomes. Um, and, you know, uh, this idea of, the system being designed and I think anybody who's been through an admin credential program has been introduced to that that idea I was introduced to it through HIFITS but I think it's been attributed to a lot of different folks but that every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets mm -hmm. and so when we think about disproportionality the achievement gap the opportunity gap all the things that you talked about that's a systemic issue that goes as you say beyond education right there's the redlining the housing, busing, school finance, all of these things that in many cases have gone up to the, the Supreme Court, right? School finance was decided at the Supreme Court. You know, um, uh, interdistrict busing was decided at the Supreme Court. Um, redlining was a policy for many, many years. These things are institutionalized into law in some cases mm -hmm. to say... You know, you folks live over here and do your thing and you folks live over here and do your thing. And while we have attempted in some cases to dismantle that, it's it's much greater than just one piece, one spoke. Right. Um, and I can't help but think of, you know, one of the great cultural icons these days of Game of Thrones where they say, you know, we need to not be part of the wheel. We need to break the wheel. <laughs> so your, your, your idea that education is a spoke on the wheel, yeah, we can't just change education. We have to break the wheel. Mm -hmm. And how right. do we do that? Yeah, Hannah. Yeah, I think one thing that keeps resonating with me um, in this conversation and then 
the broader conversation about how the media has really covered what happened in Atlanta this week mm. is how do we really shift the rhetoric and mindset around this? Um, and I feel like when we're talking about changing a system, how do we how do we change the minds of the <laughs> like the mindset of folks within that system? Um, and I think about one how um, how this event in Atlanta has been framed in terms of um, a lot of media really talking about this or not um, not focusing on this as a hate crime, even though all of the impact and evidence to the contrary shows that it is a hate crime. And it makes me think about working in schools and how do... How do you shift mindsets around what our school's role is in really breaking down racism and um, and these systems of oppression? And I'm thinking about, Shauna, earlier you were mentioning um, that as a principal, you would have students come into your, into your office and talk about experiences they had with teachers that where the teacher was not necessarily in the right like what they were mm-hmm. doing was problematic and maybe the response was not one that uh, the teacher felt was appropriate from the student but the teacher mm-hmm. also the adults also played a role in that and yeah. I think to me it's this big question of in education how are we shifting from this idea that it's you can have good intentions but the impact you're making matters. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a big mindset shift, I think, for many people. And I, I wonder how are we supporting these conversations with adults in the system? And really, like for myself, how am I holding myself accountable in those moments where I might have good intentions, but it doesn't matter because my impact landed poorly mm-hmm on folks and as a result of my own white privilege or power. Um, So how are we having these conversations and starting to shift these mindsets? Yeah. And to me, I think Hannah, what you're talking about is like, where do we uh, look for and then exploit our opportunities for intervention? Right. And when we look at um, a school or a district or a community as a system, do we want to uh, intervene at the like, you know, macro, meso, micro level? And I think what we've traditionally done in education is we want to intervene at the micro level, right? Like let's get a curriculum for the kids. Right. Let's bring this program into the classroom and really teach the kids. And what unfortunately happens, I think, when talking about this system is that the adults have grown up in certain systems that we, we know, and I know the numbers aren't, ac- you know, 100% accurate here, but we know that certainly, you know, um, students are over 50% students of color, whereas teachers are over 70% white. And so now we have, you know, uh, this idea of white folks in classrooms teaching students of color, teaching across difference. And if those adults haven't done any work themselves on addressing their own perspective, their own worldview, I'll even say their own white privilege, then we start to have these uh, conflicts 
that actually don't have really anything to do with the micro level. They have everything to do with this um, systems level that is now impacting the interpersonal interactions. So bringing curriculum in for students isn't actually where the problem lies. It's the adults in the system whose behavior continue to perpetuate the systems of oppression. And Shauna, you, I think you had an, an interaction with a, a, I with think a it was colleague. A, yeah. Yeah. With a colleague. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, I think definitely starts with that. When you're talking about what we're doing for the adults, it's that increasing that level of awareness. Right. I, um, because so much of these microaggressions or conflicts or issues of um, implicit bias that crop up in daily interactions across our school campuses um, are, are happening kind of beyond the consciousness of people that might be unintentionally the aggressors. Right. Right. Um, and so how do I think one of the important, most important first pieces is bringing that level of consciousness to folks. And I had a colleague uh, that I worked with in, uh, a couple of years ago, um, and we were having a debate about the way students were being treated, mm -hmm. you know, and I was like holding up for him, like, hey, this African-American student, this is how this situation was handled. And here's a white student here, how this was handled. Do you see how different we handled both situations, two different schools, two different sets of people? I said, but as a system, we treated these children very differently. One was treated like a criminal, like an adult. And the other was, was treated like the child that he is, yeah. right? Like as, a, as if the behavior was developmentally appropriate, pushing boundaries. Okay, both of them were doing things that were maybe wrong, but we handled them very differently. Um, and I think my colleague hadn't really thought about it in that way and comparing one instance to the other. Um, and, you know, I introduced him to the book by Robin D'Angelo, White Fragility. And he called me up and it was like, okay, Shauna, like, this has completely ruined my whole life because now I can't move throughout the day without seeing things completely differently. I'm listening to how my neighbors talk and hearing very different undertones, very different subtext than I even noticed before. I'm at the grocery store and what am I seeing? What am I noticing? Um, you know, in, in daily instances and conversations at work, I'm getting, this is really troubling me because now I'm noticing all of the things that I participate in, in the world from, you know, church to how I interact with family members. And, and I'm hearing things that I never heard or noticed before. And this is really uncomfortable. And it's, it's kind of disruptive. You've disrupted my life. And I said, well, welcome, welcome to the hard work. And now the question is, what do you do about it? How do you change what you do in response to being aware and having a new, uh, a new awareness of, of the world. And, um, you know, I, I will say, you know, talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion work at work now specifically and bringing that into the workplace for people of color, that has a measure of, mm. of there's a measure of burden there, right? Because black folks, people of color, we notice these things all the time. We can't walk throughout the world without bumping up against this sometimes invisible, but oftentimes very explicit system that says you're not good enough. You don't deserve to be here. Who you are isn't the norm or whatever. Um, and so we notice these things um, and we, we get to a point where we're like, okay, we're, we're okay. We'll, we're, 
not okay, but we notice it and we have figured out how to compartmentalize and move throughout our world and life and vent to people that are safe, that we care about, that we can share with. But now having all of this stuff being talked about at work explicitly is another layer of, of kind of burden for lack of a better word. It, it yeah. brings it all up in a daily, on a daily basis. And I think like that's the work that has to be done. Um, so as, as, as a lot of white people are kind of peeling back the, the blinders and realizing and seeing the world slightly differently, there's another, the, the employees of color um, or employees with, who are coming from all different sorts of backgrounds, those with disabilities, those who are in the LGBTQ community, not to mention the in- intersectionalities of race mm-hmm. with all those other identities. It's another level of, okay, I've got to, I've got to be vulnerable at work in a, in a new kind of way that I hadn't had to do before. Yeah. Um, and thank you, Shauna. Um, you know, what's resonating with me, there's a couple things. One is um, that, you know, as triggering as it might be, like white privilege is real. Um, and there is a vileness to the, if you'll excuse the term, kind of brilliance of the design of white privilege is that um, folks who are who benefit from white privilege are sheltered from the necessity to see their own white privilege. And I know this because that was my experience. You know, I'm a white man, grew up in an extremely white, affluent community, was taught that, you know, America is the land of opportunity, meritocracy, and I believed all of that. Very much so. Um, And it wasn't until, you know, honestly, like my late 20s that I had an experience where, um, you know, anyway, I I volunteered at a summer camp that was not what I expected it to be. It was very much like a diversity training for young kids, experiential workshops around race, gender, privilege, culture. And it was meant to be a a life-changing kind of transformational experience for the kids. But it was that for me. And um, I, I think I've said this to you before, but I felt like somebody picked me up, turned me upside down and set me back down in the world. Like the world that I had been taught to believe in isn't actually the world in which I was living. And very much like your colleague, once I started seeing it, I couldn't not see it. I couldn't not see the systems of oppression. Um, and um, it's, here's the thing though, is that I didn't actually have to do anything about it. I could have continued living in my sheltered uh, experience. Now, I I happen to choose to go into social work and and you know work on social justice. I still fail at it a lot. You know, I still have I still benefit from white privilege. Uh, that's just a fact. Um, but I think when we think about what to do with the system, I think one thing that we can do is to your point, Shauna, is start to have these conversations, start to bring it into work. Mm-hmm. And there are books, there's tons of books written about this. You know, there's articles going back to, you know, over 30 years ago, but Peggy McIntosh, right? Unpacking the invisible knapsack. That's still relevant 30 right. years later. <laughs> um, and so how do we decontextualize it for folks, have folks read, reflect on their own experience and in this kind of awakening, opening eyes, start to observe and just ask people, just observe. Observe how people are treated. Observe how systems impact folks differently. 
observe how you are impacted. And then you have a choice. What would you like to do about that? Um, and then be able to have these conversations. And, and for me, I, it really can't be the burden of people of color in the, in the workplace. It has to be the burden of, in my opinion, white folks, uh, particularly white folks in leadership positions to open up the space and to have these conversations and to allow for ourselves to be uncomfortable. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's hard. Um, but how are we allowing for that discomfort and not trying to get away from the discomfort? How are we trying to sit in it and have the conversations? The, one of the things that come, come up for me is how can we help our school system be the thing that takes kids and flips them on their head and gives them this experience that allows them to be the next generation of adults who will see the world differently, attempt to dismantle these systems that, you know, continue to other people and not engender a sense of belonging across difference. Um, And I feel like, I know that's so cliche to say that they're our hope. The kids are our hope of, you know, of a better future, but, but they, but they really are. And I also think, gosh, I feel like, you know, part of what I've got had the privilege to do for the last uh, several months is talk to different groups of students from across Mm. our County and golly, they have so many ideas. They have so many solutions. They have no shortage of, of, of feedback to give us grownups about how to make schools better, to make the make schools what they want them to be, what will serve them better, what will support them better. Um, and I feel like it's on some level, we need to get out of the way yeah. and let the kids tell us what they want and then actually listen to them and create the system that is designed and works well for them. Right. After all, they are the reason that we are here. Um, and I can't think of any other institution or organization that would like completely disregard or not even ask its clients or its customers what works for them. And, and, and yet, as, as, as an institution, we don't do such a great job at that. If anything, there's so much of what's kind of embedded in, in our schooling is kind of the silencing kids, right? This very teacher-centered model of education where teachers have all the information and their job is to just fill up this empty vessel of children with information is, is, is wrong, right? Teachers, educators, we're, we should be facilitating, organizing and crafting an environment where kids can experience learning in a very impactful, meaningful way that's re- connected to the real world that will actually prepare them for the world they're going to enter and prepare them, frankly, to change the world that they're going to enter, um, and I, I, I just think if, if we can be honest with ourselves and identify curriculum and, and, and pedagogies that will better create this sort of setting for kids to learn and hold space for adults to engage in those conversations that are difficult, where we can be learning and growing alongside one another. And that's not based on shame. That's not based on pointing out things where our colleagues or ourselves are not doing things right or you know, having, you know, pointing out bias and saying, there, there it is. I, I noticed your little racism creeping up. Like, no, that's not the point. The point is, hey, I noticed this thing. Here's how it impacted me. How can I come alongside you and work with you and collaborate with you because I care about you, right? At the heart of all of it is, is meaningful relationships. It's creating a sense of belonging for everyone. And if we're all kind of entering this system with a, 
from a learning orientation of how can I grow and develop and be better over time, right? This is the SEL piece. We're never done learning. You don't just like check the box on all of your competencies and you're done. It's a practice. It's something that you have to continually grow and develop in. I feel like if we can do that and create that kind of system and environment for everybody, we'll certainly get closer to the ideal we're talking about. And I think that's really the point, right? So first of all, I just want to acknowledge that Hannah has not uh, disengaged from this conversation on purpose. She's having some uh, technical challenges, um, (laughs) very much wanting to engage, but not able to because of technical challenges. So just want to acknowledge that. But second of all, um, I think you said so many great things, Shauna, but one of the kind of way you ended there is that um, what I heard you say is that this change is not going to happen overnight and that we can start doing things that will get us closer to our ideal. But we have to have patience with ourselves that we're not going to, you know, adopt a new curriculum and then it's going to be all okay. Um, There are multiple things that we can and should be doing. Number one, the adults have to do some work, right? Individually, we need to do some work, um, but also collectively, you know, could we choose a text, whether it's white fragility um, or any number of texts that we have, uh, you know, can a school community or district decide on a book, read it together and then discuss it and talk about your own experiences? How, how is this reflecting on your own experiences? Um, what do you bring into the table? Um, second of all, um, in the individual work, as I just mentioned, bring it into work, have communities, affinity groups, communities of practice where we can talk about our experiences and then what would we like to do about it? And then I think not to be overshadowed here is your point of like, involve the kids, ask them and have this be a dialogue, which really gets us away from that notion of like, I'm the sage on the stage, I'm the you know, content expert, but I can go into a space and say, you know what? I don't know. You tell me what your experiences are. You tell me what you feel you need in this community, in this context, and then I'll do my best to get it, you know, to work towards that. So those are kind of pretty, three pretty tangible things that we can do, right? Individually as adults in the system. And then with the, with the young people that we serve and then have patience with ourselves have patience with change um, because it's not going to happen overnight, but we need to start moving towards the ideal that we want so that we can potentially at some point realize that promise of education being the great equalizer. We're not there yet, but how can we start moving in that direction? Amen. (laughs) Amen. Um, Hannah, we missed you. We will work out these technical challenges. And it's really unfortunate because this is Hannah, this is gonna be Hannah's last uh, podcast for a while as Hannah goes on maternity leave. Um, so it's uh, really disappointing that her voice was taken away from her and this uh, last episode for a couple of months. But we will look forward to, uh, to hearing from you again in the future, Hannah. Yes. Shauna, thank you very much. This is a conversation that we're going to have to continue to have, of course. Yeah. Um, but I really appreciate your expertise and your experience. And uh, I just enjoy talking about this with you. So yes. thanks. Ditto. Hannah, we miss you already. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thanks so much. And uh, we will re-engage in this or another conversation in two weeks. Once again, I'm Chris Williams with Shauna Cook-Harvey, Hannah Collentine-Cole. This is Everyday SEL, and we'll see you next time. Thanks.